that non-sexual sex that after sex lovemaking and connecting mm-hmm. it is the most healthiest feeling because that's when you feel like you belong my mom is 70 something right now and we still talk about sex as if you know it's it's just another conversation so no is that around at age of 7 i started getting sexually abused and that went on for until the age of 13 and it happened right under the nose it happened by the men my parents trusted to look after me we learned to understand that our life is so much more valuable that we don't need to live in that pain every single day every single moment <laughs> just personally <laughs> um i think the society deciding our uh, you know you know as soon as you're born the boys are blue the girls are pink yeah you are already given something and that's not fair Refreshingly real, refreshingly honest, refreshingly human. A podcast about human connections, shared experiences, and finding that line of humanity. With your host, Hannah Pillow. Hey everyone, welcome back to Refreshingly Human with myself Hannah. A oh, welcome if you are here for the first time. It's great to have you joining me again. I wonder what did you guys think of last week's episode? I thought that Leanne shared some really great insights to deconstructing our sexual education. I think that we are repeatedly deconstructing things that we have learned, but she definitely shed some new light on actually thinking about it, deconstructing, questioning, and our responsibility and role in changing this dialogue. So if you haven't checked it out yet, go ahead and check it out and let me know what you thought. Today, however, I am joined by an amazing guest, Sebastian. Uh, they are have such an inspirational story to share but also a little disclosure there are some graphic descriptions of sexual abuse in this episode so if you are easily triggered or sensitive to the topic this is just a little bit of a heads up for you going in we're going to dive into Sebastian's life today we're going to dive into their journey as you know with sexual education growing up uh, Sebastian grew up in a very liberal south asian family they have quite a different story to share with us and they also leave us with some very important advice at the end of this episode so stay tuned all the way till the end to get some really great insights and now i'll hand you over so hi sebastian welcome and i am so honored to be here i am actually really excited i've been waiting my turn to be on your podcast <laughs> Amazing. I know I know this is going to be so great and the season has really been so exciting. Um I just love how everyone is just so happy to talk about sex. It's just I guess it's a fun topic to talk about, but it's also I think people have a lot to vent about in this topic as well. Absolutely. Look, sex you know, this is the irony sex is the most basic and natural thing of human life in fact of all like you know life form and yet we are the only species who have made it as if it's something bad you look at any other animal any other birds any other literally any organism it's the most natural thing and there are no not so many rules whereas when it comes to human beings We are the ones who are famous for Kama Sutra and all that and we are the ones who make it look like it's something wrong. So, yeah. I mean, that's so true. I have um a book of Kama Sutra on my bookshelf and I refuse to hide it. Like I'm not hiding it. It's there. If exactly. you come into my office, you will see it. It's it's kind of like I don't know if you've seen that meme going around about that news reporter with the dildo in her background. and everyone was like oh my god is it yeah. dildo in the background I'm like so what don't you have a dildo <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and you know this is funny you said that because i did a show in which my entire background was like eight nine different dildos and <laughs> people were like oh. and 
And the funny thing is, I don't, everybody who was there, including everybody who was in the audience, I don't know one person who doesn't have one and know for sure they did. Yeah, exactly. Everyone yeah. has one. So I think sex is something uh, we have made a taboo. It wasn't, if you look at history, any history, you pick up any culture, women and sex and sexuality were the drivers of many cultures, were the decide mm -hmm. decision makers of what, you know, women controlled um, kingdoms based on their beauty and their sexuality and everything. And suddenly, and I think that's what is wrong with today's society because the, the responsibility has been given to men in so-called patriarchy. <laughs> and you give anything to men and they're surely going to fuck it up. <laughs> well, <laughs> I love that. I mean, I, I've never thought so hard about it before, but uh, that's an interesting thought um, for sure. <laughs> so yeah, Sebastian, we, I want to start, I know we, we just dive straight into the, the whole sex thing and that's what the audience wants, but I want to dive into a small icebreaker with you before we go even deeper into this topic. Um, mm -hmm. What is the one thing about you that people assume is true, but turns out that it's not? You know, it's one of those questions that uh, kind of always is like, hmm, what is it? I can't assume what other people think, but from experience, I can say, you know, several people who are close friends now or clients or, uh, you know, uh, any kind of net network, once they have known me for a while, I have received this feedback that initially I come across as enough myself douchebag who doesn't have time for anybody and who who pretends to be uh you know very busy and unavailable and i'm actually the entire opposite i'm very approachable i think for me what it is is in the beginning when i meet people um i just need somebody else to break the ice and then i take over i take over the conversation <laughs> You may have seen i am a very yeah i it takes me three minutes to make friends literally yeah that's amazing um yeah i just i just think that these first impressions people say first impressions are lasting impressions and i just think that's bullshit. um you know i think that we all on our first impressions we have so much of a guard up that it's hard mm -hmm. for people to know the real us from a first impression uh, that's such an old school way, which is why I love to break ice with this question, because it's kind of like, let's get to know the real person here. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, let's go back. I, I like to start um, this topic of sex by just going diving back into your childhood and talking about what conversations did you have about sex growing up and who did you have these conversations with? So that's a very, very interesting and important question because my life experience has been very different from the usual childhood when it comes to sexuality. Um, I was only seven when I asked my dad, what is homosexual? In, you know, I come from Asian culture, you would expect that that would be like, whoa, where did you hear, hear that word from? Why are you saying that? And, you would expect your parents to get angry. You would expect they'd want to know who's sort of, you know, uh, as you would say, who's putting this filth in your brain, right? But instead, my parents have been so cool that my dad instead said, oh, why do you ask? And I'm like, I don't know. I read it somewhere and I'm interested. So he kind of explained in a very, you know, for a seven-year-old, he explained in a very, smart way that you know how your mom and I love each other how sometimes we tease each other sometimes we we are naughty with each other same way in some cases two men do that to each other or two women do that to each other and my question was uh, so he said like you know instead of mom and dad in some families there's two dads or two moms and I asked being a seven-year-old of course curious I'm like okay so if there are two dads where are their moms and he's like, okay, so that's the difference. There are only two dads. There is no mom. Or there are only two moms. There is no dad. And I, I was like, then who breastfeeds? 
like, oh, nobody does because that's the, you know, kind of family. And he kind of in a very smart way explained to me, not only explain, explained what homosexual relationship is without even going into the sex, but also without even saying, expressed to me that it's normal to be that way. There's nothing unusual about that. And I think that was the biggest thing. Um, yeah, so that that's that's what defined my childhood. That's what defined my sexuality and my knowledge of sex. It's never been a taboo topic in my family. Uh, my mom is 70 something right now and we still talk about sex as if, you know, it's, it's just another conversation. So there's nothing awkward in my family when it comes to literally any topic, not just sex, literally any topic. How did that affect your understanding and relationship with sex uh, now? I think I have had a couple of different, I would say, parallel experience when it comes to sex itself. So the part that comes to my parents and my family and upbringing everything, it's been really easy because until much later in life, I didn't even know that these questions are supposed to be confronting for parents or these these are difficult questions or these are difficult, the bird and the bees conversation. I didn't know bird and bees because I wasn't given that bullshit. I was given literally what's a vagina, what's a penis, what happens and how the baby comes. There was no birds and bees. There was no symbolic conversation. Only thing I was ever told was, okay, right now you're nine. We're going to wait until you're 13. Okay, now you're 13. We're going to tell you this much. Now you're 15. We'll tell you this. So it's always been same information and stages. Just the layer that was peeled off for me was different. And it's always been a really, it, it has helped me not feel bad about my sex life and my sexuality you know as i said there's another layer of my life when it comes to sex so there is a part of me that was painful there is a part of me that was difficult but the, as far as it is concerned about knowing sex or understanding myself or my sexual needs it has never been something that i've been guilty about or questioned like why am i thinking this way or you know there's this one common thing especially amongst men and I can really speak for men, you know, not not for women, because even though I identify as non-binary, I was, you know, raised as a cis gender male. Um, you will find a lot and lot of men right after sex, right after they're done, they need to get a shower, take a shower right away. There's something filthy, you know, they need to just walk away and run and take a shower and clean themselves up. That is guilt here that's like they've done something wrong that they need to wash off and i've never felt that i've never felt that need i and i think that goes back to the open healthy conversations that's really interesting and what you said there about men taking a shower after sex is actually quite common for that to happen in um like in the culture i was raised in uh, i was raised in a religious muslim culture and uh, there it's both the men and the women who are encouraged to wash themselves straight after sex, uh, yeah. which is quite a funny thing that actually myself as, uh, even when I was a Muslim, I was, I was, I, I don't know, like after sex, who wants to fucking get up and go and have a shower? It's like, I just want to lie there and go to sleep sometimes. <laughs> like, you don't have, you don't really you know, yeah, to wash I, I, was, I will say this very openly. I think, I, I have been lucky in that way growing up as an adult, different partners that I have been with. Um, I've been with people who have been so, the society will call them filthy minded, but they have been so open that we enjoy that moment right after sex. That is the moment when you emotionally connect after the physical, because you're elated. You're only on this higher level of yourself. You know, you're transcended into something a plane that is different from all that tension of the day, all that stresses, all that. You're just in a euphoric moment. And mm -hmm. right after sex, you know, we've all just come and everything and we are still cuddling, we are talking, we are kissing. To me, that is when the real sex happens. That non-sexual sex, that after sex lovemaking and connecting, Mm -hmm. It is the most healthiest feeling 
because that's when you feel like you belong. You're not just done and over with it, but you know, you've physically connected, you're physically climaxed together. And now you're actually celebrating the moment you just had. And I mm. think so for me, I'm the entire opposite. There is no, fr- if a man wants me to wash off right after, I ain't seeing him again. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Hey, you know, uh, and I, you know, I, again, I can't speak for men, but wouldn't you agree that most women would say the one, one of the biggest annoyances as soon as the man is done, he rolls over or, or leaves the bed or goes for a shower or just falls asleep. And it's like, what the? I just want to interrupt you listening for a brief second just to remind you to check out my social media pages. I'm on Instagram as Refreshingly Human Podcast and Facebook as Refreshingly Human. You can also check me out on LinkedIn as Hannah Pillow. And if you are enjoying the episode, please don't forget to take a screenshot of yourself listening to the episode and share it on your own social media. Don't forget to tag me so I can see that love for Refreshingly Human. Now I'll let you get back to the episode. Sebastian, I want to give the audience a little bit background about you. So um, could you tell us, like, you know, your parents were so open about sex with you. Were there any religious background that you grew up with? And what generation are we talking of um, that this all happened in? So I would say, so I'm 43 now, or otherwise I say I'm 1400 years old, baby vampire. But I'm 43 now. I would say I was... As I said, the first question of sexuality started at seven. But around 14, I would say I was one of those kids that would just, we are sitting at the dinner table and we're just discussing, and we're literally discussing sex with no oh, moment and anything. It's like, I'm asking a question. And usually I was always, you know, the question was met with a counter question saying, okay, so what's the reason you're asking that? What do you think? My my parents took it in a very you know educational way every time. So anytime I asked something, they responded with, "Okay, so what is your perception of it?" I think their intention was to see how much I already know, how much I already understand, and then to help me understand in the right way with the accurate information. So when it comes to religion and everything, my parents have been quite the rebel. You know, they didn't believe in or did a lot of traditional things. They were the couple, a confirmation culture where in my country of origin, even after marriage, the couple stays with their parents, the man's parents, but they left that house in under 30 days and they started their own life, which was really, very really non-traditional. Similarly, there's a, there's a concept of dowry. My dad didn't accept any of that. And it is expected that women have a certain role, men have a certain role. That wasn't in my family, has never been. So I, I was, you're gonna laugh at this, but I was 16 for the, when my first time realized that in my friends' families, mothers had a different role and the fathers had a different role and functions in the house because I had never experienced that. So my dad was an atheist or he actually didn't believe in any, um, titles or labels. He just said, if I can feed a homeless person, if I can fight for somebody's human rights, if I can, you know, spend some time with uh, a senior citizen and just make them happy, that's my God and religion. My mom, a little bit religious, but not so much. And I think the biggest beautiful part of my family has been my dad accepted my mom as she was. My mom accepted my dad as he was. There was never like expectation that you need to change for me or I need to change for you. Um, I have never seen that confrontation. And now, many, many years later, I realize I have been freaking fortunate to be born to that family. Well, that's great. So let's fast forward to what is your attitude with sex right now? And what was your whole like experience with, you know, finding your own sexuality like? Ah, that's a very big and complicated question, actually. So 
in some ways it was really really simple because as i said at seven i already was asking what is homosexuality and i was not given a bullshit answer i was given a real answer with explanation two men can fall in love two women can fall in love and they can be parents um as i grew at 10 i was given more understanding of that at 13 i was given more by the time i was 15 i knew that two men have sex two women have sex two men and women have sex and all that um so with my sexuality there's two aspects as i was saying earlier one is understanding my sexuality itself like who am i and what do i like i think i was barely 13 when i exactly knew that i liked men and i remember even the conversation at some point uh, i don't know exactly what age i was i would say 13 or 14 but when i was uh you know literally having a conversation with my dad like i was talking about penis and i was saying like i don't know why but penises are more attractive i don't want to like i literally said i don't want to see a woman naked it's disgusting now i know that you know that was a immature sort of reaction but it, it's not disgusting nobody is disgusting but as far as sex, sex is concerned i have no interest in women whatsoever never had uh, interest which is, you know, as a teenager's like reaction was disgusting. So that part of my sexuality has been very clear from very early on. Then it did so happen. So to go in a little bit of backstory, my father was taken away from us um, in an unnatural way. So, you know, at a very young age, he was only 48. I was still, in my culture, still a baby, you know. So, mm -hmm. in our in our culture, like 25 year old, it's still a baby. I wasn't 25, but I'm saying still a baby. So that was quite a shock. But I remember I was still in my, I think, year 10, and I kind of already had a boyfriend. I it was an understanding, like I can't. My parents kind of already knew what we were doing. They kind of already knew that, you know. They didn't enter my room without knocking. They knew we were adjusting ourselves and everything. So I think the biggest beautiful thing about my family and my experience with my sexuality is I wasn't ever made to feel guilty about it. I wasn't ever made to feel like I need to hide something. I think the only boundary that was maintained was I think that same parent-children boundary that, you know, there's it's my personal life and I don't they don't need to discuss that unless I want to discuss it so that way by 14 15 I knew I only liked men by 16 I already had a boyfriend um I would say no uh, he was a couple of years older than me uh so by the time I was 18 I was in a long-term relationship with that man only thing is now here's the funny part he called me brother. We had sex every day, but he called me brother. He had lots of issues with sexuality and accepting who we are. I didn't care. I think I was so happy and free that I just always called him like, yeah, you're not my brother in that. The other aspect of sexuality is, which is the difficult part is while my parents were so open and everything else was you know, so easy. What my parents did not did not know is that around at age of seven, I started getting sexually abused, and that went on for until the age of thirteen. And it happened right under their nose. It happened by the men my parents trusted to look after me as a babysitter, as sort of like you know, in our culture, like. People who are living in your street are like your cousins. We call each other cousins. We call it uncles and aunties, even though there's no relationship. Mm -hmm. That's what I grew up in. So as far as my parents are concerned, they were just leaving with me with my young uncles uh, so that, you know, after school hours, while they are at work or they are in the business, I wasn't alone. The purpose for which they were doing leaving me is the entire opposite was happening. So that is the only thing that confused me about my sexuality growing up uh, and how i will explain that is i had no confusion about that i liked men 
Mm-hmm. But I had confusion about what was my role in the bedroom with another mm-hmm. man. And for a long time, a long time, I learned that my role was to serve, to take whatever is done to me, to not say no, to pain is what I'm supposed to feel and mm-hmm. it's and I'm not supposed to complain. So that part of sexuality was really difficult. But now I know that that wasn't my sexuality. That was the abuse I was going through. But as far as my sexuality is concerned, I've never had it out, even in those painful moments and hating those men, hating what was happening to me, um, still having a dream of a boyfriend and still actually, as I said, like 14, 15, I was already exploring relationships, having a boyfriend while I'm still just coming out of that abuse. So I already knew my sexuality. It's just that experience kind of stained and changed how I felt about sex for a different reason. Of course. My sexuality and experience, I've never had any doubt. Um, Mm. Though I'll talk about that in a second because, yeah, I believe for a long time that I'm a homosexual gay man, which I believe today I'm not. (laughs) Yeah, I want to unpack so much there, um, Sebastian. Like, just going back to that moment, like, first of all, of course, I'm so sorry that you had that experience to begin with. Um, Did you have anyone that you spoke to in those times? Did you feel like you could speak to anyone uh, did you, I, I guess you were very young, did you realize in that moment that that was abuse or was it a very confusing situation for you? It was difficult because I think the challenge here was, on one hand, my family was so open-minded, so they answered all my questions. So obviously I had no reaction that I was wrong or I was, uh, you know, for, for me to feel uh, attracted to me was something wrong. So I had no questions about that. At the same time, these men treat, I think the way they had sex with me was confusing the heck out of me because I didn't understand if it's supposed to feel, if it's supposed to be about love, mm-hmm. then why am I put through the pain? Because it wasn't just sex, it was physical torture, it was abuse in a way that I can't even explain right now because it has taken a long time to get over it. So I'll put it this way. I wasn't confused about sex or sexuality. I was just always questioning, why does it have to be painful? Mm. Why do I have to hide my bruises? So I could have the conversations, but these men were also grooming me to not tell about what they were doing. Oh. By Telling me that if I did tell that my father's gonna commit suicide in shame, that my mother's gonna kill herself. And as a child, of oh, course wow. I didn't parents would do anything. Of course, I thought somehow I felt like the only way I can save them is that they never find out. Mm-hmm. I remember at 14, literally, literally just finishing 13, entering 14, all I said to my dad was. I don't want you to ever leave me with those men. That's all I had to say. And I think given who my family is and how open they are, my dad understood exactly what my reason was. And I never saw those men again. Um, uh, In a few days, they left that uh, area as well. So I'm assuming that of course my dad took some action. Uh, You know, I, I I probably would never know what it was, but I know that he took some action because of which they decided to leave and all that. Um, yeah, so that way, sexuality has been two different coins, two different yeah. sides of the coin that I've, you know, but yes, I could talk then in, I was, I, I haven't, this, this is the irony. I haven't spoken to my parents about abuse as such, mm-hmm. but again, you know, my family listens to my interviews, my podcasts, my there's there's nothing hidden. It's I think it's an unspoken agreement. And I think it also breaks their heart. It still does of break course. their heart. Of course. Of course, yeah. They probably I mean, were looking after me, but yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, looking at you now, Sebastian, you are like this, um, you know, you, you, you've been doing a lot of mental work on yourself and you are like this thriving CEO in your company and you're doing really well. What would you say to someone who is going through something similar to what you went through and how, how do you, how did you heal from that? Um, I'm sure of course you probably still healing in, in many ways, but what steps did you take to move forward from this? So first of all, I will say, I do not believe in healing and forgiveness. That is a concept I have been always very firm about. I still refuse to believe that because what I believe is we don't heal and we don't need to forgive to move forward. What we what happens is we learn to live despite and in spite of the pain. Mm -hmm. We learn to celebrate our future and our present in spite of and despite of what happened in the past. We learn to we learn to understand that our life is so much more valuable that we don't need to live in that pain every single day, every single moment. So I don't believe in healing. I believe in moving forward. I actually also don't believe in moving on. I, I'm very specific about those words. I believe in moving forward. To me, that means I will accept and acknowledge what happened in my past. I will not forget that, mm. but I will make sure that that past doesn't define who I become now and where I go forward. And same way, I don't believe in forgiveness um, because of what happened to my dad, because of what happened to me, what my mother still goes through because of what happened to my dad. I can never forgive, but I don't hold anger to be very clear. I don't want revenge. I don't want uh, to avenge anything. I do strongly believe, as I said, I'm an atheist, but I do strongly believe there's something out there that balances everything in our life. And I believe in universe, there are forces out there which takes care of even the justice and injustice. Mm -hmm. So I don't forgive people. I don't forget what has been done. But what I believe is I make them so insignificant and so unnecessary and so worthless in my life that I don't care where they are, what happened to them. Uh, because I think the only way to slap somebody and to take a revenge is to be so happy in your life, so fulfilled in your life, that it won't matter to you anymore. And I think maybe that's what people call forgiveness, but I don't call it forgiveness. I call it moving forward. So to answer your question, one thing I would say to anybody at any age, if you're going through sexual abuse, talk to somebody. Mm. tell your best friend tell your you know I think telling your parents is the best thing and I understand in some cultures it's it's really difficult people you know as a woman you can understand even in today's time in so many cultures so many communities the women got get blamed or looked down upon for being raped as if she did something wrong. So I think that's what happens with abuse as well, irrespective of the gender and you know age of the child. So un unfortunately, it's the abuse that is still looked down upon. And I think that's the attitude that needs to drastically change. But I would say, talk to somebody, talk to your teacher, talk to mm -hmm. your counselor, talk to a friend. And you know, if any child ever listens to this or any young person listens to this, I'm just going to say, if you don't know how to say it, just say, I don't like how person A or B touches me there. That's all you need to say to somebody buys and they'll do the rest for you. They'll, they'll take oh, care of the rest, you know. That is, that is really good advice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely think speaking to somebody that you trust, um, I know that some people don't have that trust with their parents that they would, would, like you said, a teacher or a best friend, definitely mm -hmm. need to go to someone you trust a hundred percent. Okay. Well, um, thank you for sharing that Sebastian. That was, that was heavy. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I kind of really resonate with what you said, because I, I do firmly believe that everything that happened to us our trauma our past is such 
it's such a big part of the person we are now. I feel like it, it kind of like it's it's part of our journey, and it for me everything that happened in my life made me into who I am today. And I don't, you know, I I definitely move forward from it. Um, but I I definitely think that I don't move on. <laughs> Absolutely, and look that that is what it is. Uh, I think we we. The society, and, and this is a this is something I actually want to say very clearly. The society shames us into forgiving, shames us into moving on, shames us into like we are told that if we don't forgive, we cannot heal. If we don't heal, we cannot be better people. We cannot be strong. We cannot be happy. That is not true. That is bullshit. You know, that is actually telling us putting the burden on the victim to resolve actions of the criminal of the wrongdoer so he did something wrong or somebody else did something wrong but i'm supposed to forgive them i'm supposed to go okay you know what i'm going to forgive you for my happiness no i don't need to forgive you the point is i don't need to make you at all important in my life to even want to forgive you i don't need to forget what happened to me in fact what happened to me defines my experiences as you said in a, in a very strange way, but I'm going to say this, whether what happened to my dad, whether what happened to me, I'm grateful for one thing, every experience in my life, because that experience showed me what my strengths are, that experience showed me what I'm capable of, and that experience showed me what I will not allow to happen in my life ever again. So yes, yes I wish I hadn't gone through what I have gone through, Yes, I wish some of those traumas still did not remain in my life. So yes, I wish I did not have the PTSD, but I'm not going to let that define who I am today in a negative way. And I'm not going to, I will not be shamed into forgiving somebody. I will always hate the person who did that to me. All the men, I, I will not forget. I will not forget their names, their, uh, you know, their uh, faces. But other than talking about it for awareness, they are so insignificant in my life. I don't care. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody told me about one of these guys, how badly something happened to his life. I didn't say, oh, good, finally. I didn't even feel that because all this was, and why do I care? Mm. As far as I'm concerned, that person died the day he touched me wrong. Mm. I don't care. In I have been through years and years of therapy. I have had lots of support from my family, from my friends, from my close people. And one thing is very clear in my life. You know, there's one thing that it's it's very commonly said, hurt people hurt people, right? And I, I, I add a little statement to it. I say hurt people hurt people, but hurt people can break the cycle and use their hurt to build something stronger, wiser, and kinder, and never let the hurt become something negative for the next person. Beautiful. That's really beautiful. Um, yeah, and I think that you, you know, you've definitely used your strengths and definitely grew from your experiences from what I can see of you. I know we just getting to know each other as people, but um, I'm hoping we both continue to impress each other in our, in this journey. <laughs> that, that's my hope. And uh, what I would say is, you know, I think one thing you would realize is because of our experiences, we are meeting people who have similar journeys. We are meeting mm -hmm. people See, here's the, here's the positive. I'm not saying that people should be abused. I'm not saying that people should be, you know, in any way, whether it's because of religion or sexuality or any of that. I'm not saying that that is okay, even for a second. But what I'm saying is because of what you and I have been through, we are saving so many more lives by just having these conversations. Absolutely. Because you and I might just be having a conversation, but somebody out there might be listening to this and saying, enough. You don't touch me again that way enough. You don't force me to believe in a religion enough. You don't force me to marry against my will. I'm going to live my life on my terms and I don't care what you have to say. So I think if one life changes because of our conversation, that's everything. 
I love that so much. And yes, exactly. We we need to speak out. We need to have these dialogues. It's just so important. I, I think I was just speaking to someone else earlier today and we were saying that if we had these conversations to listen to when we were younger, we would have, you know, we would have had those aha moments a lot sooner in our lives because we didn't we didn't grow up in this era of, um, you know, podcasting, <laughs> YouTube, um, you know, computers were fairly new when I was a teenager. And, I think uh, that, that is the challenge. See, what happened in the past is, and I think that's where my family story is really, really important for me, is the society, the culture, no matter which part of the world you talk about, 20 years ago, even 15 years ago, every society, every culture suppressed the bad news. All yes. it was was like, oh my God, this shouldn't get out. Somehow the burden became for the victim and their family to hide things while the criminal lived their life with zero effect. And isn't that what's happening even today? You know, religious organizations hiding the crimes of right now in Australia. I'm sorry, but our prime minister is vouching for a rapist in the parliament in and, and saying, oh, I think he's a good bloke. He's acting as the judge and the jury and defendant for somebody who's accused of rape by a staffer. And I think that is where we still need a lot of work mm -hmm. because this misogyny, and you know what? Misogyny is not just against women. It's, it's uh, I have a different defi definition of misogyny. Misogyny to me is the powerful sexually abusing the weaker in any shape or form and treating them less than, and that is what misogyny to me is. And that mm -hmm. misogyny needs to stop and we need to speak out Anybody out there who's listening, I'm just going to say, do your best to fight against it. If you can't do it, find somebody who can find fight for you. And if you can fight for somebody else, do it because you might be changing the entire world. You might be that change that this world needs. As you know, as Mahatma Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. And that's how it needs to happen every single time. Amen. Not religious, but amen. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I say gay men. <laughs> uh, so, Sebastian, let's um, talk about your journey. So you, you were saying that you grew up as a cis um, man and then you transitioned into, I don't, know, I don't know what's the word, do I say transitioned into uh, non? So I think identified or recognized myself. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So um, I will say, as I said, around 13, 14, I kind of had very clear, I didn't know exactly what was happening, but I knew that, I, of course, I did not like women. Mm -hmm. uh, a part of me, the social structure, wanted me to have a girlfriend because that was cool to have. It was just the cool factor. It wasn't the desire factor. It wasn't the attraction factor. It was just cool to have. And very soon I realized this, this is a very funny story. So I had a, two classmates, both my friends, one male, one female, and I, he wanted to date her and I would make sure to tell her that what his real intention is. And we are like 14 or 15. So she became my close friend. And then we kind of like people thought we were girlfriend and boyfriend. So it's like, I played that game, which I realized now that I've manipulated that uh, on one hand to also protect her, but also because I wanted to be the man in her life. Right. So I realized the social structure made me do something like I had to be powerful. I had to prove my territory or my prowess. Right. But what I realized in the process was I was actually never interested in her. I was interested in him. I didn't want him to be involved with any woman. Right? I like that. <laughs> and, and of course, we ended up becoming best friends. I would sleep at his house and, you know, we'd find every reason to sort of sleep as naked as we could. And 
he had lots of confusion about what's going on. I was very clear that I wanted to cuddle him. At that time, I wouldn't say we had sex, but I knew that I just wanted the cuddle and the touch and the skin. I guess the only way I can say is that the musk of a man was like everything. But at that time, I started learning and I started understanding homosexuality, understanding I'm gay. I think I was in my early 20s when I officially first time said that I'm gay. Mm-hmm. Could be a little bit sooner, but I can't remember. To be very honest, I can't remember because I, I do say this. I have come out so many times in my life. I don't remember which one, which one is my real coming out. Real, <laughs> you know, and I think because I never had to come out to my parents, I don't know what coming out really should be called. You know, because for mm. me, coming out, if you come out to your family that I'm gay. So I never had to do that. Um, but from that journey, you know, and then I moved to Australia and lived happy and gay and proud. And my parents never, well, my dad wasn't there. I still talk about my dad in present tense because I love him that that much. But I'll just say physically he wasn't here. My mom accepted all my boyfriends. And yes, I've had a few. I've been a slut. I'm sorry, but not sorry. <laughs> no uh, slut shaming. You know, uh, so I have had fun relationships. My mother always, you know, I never introduced my mothers to my boyfriends like, oh, this is my friend. I always said, this is my boyfriend, Brad. This is my boyfriend, David. This is my boyfriend, this. So she was always accepting of that. As far as I am concerned, I knew that I was gay until who around seven years ago, I started questioning that as well. Always dated men, being happy with them, unhappy with them because men are douchebags, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I just knew something was different. Mm-hmm. I dressed up as a woman for my best friend's party birthday party. I want to surprise him. I want to do something radical to just surprise him, organize a big party, 30 plus people. We lived together in kind of the was the best time of my youth, I would say. And he comes up and I have three different wigs and three different outfits. And I look to me, I would say I look like a pretty woman. Um, on that day, I felt like something is different. I felt something. And it wasn't about cross-dressing at all. It wasn't about like, I want to dress up in, I kind of like, you know, the party finished and we had fun and it kind of got sidetracked again. But over the years, when I would go to gay clubs, I would see these drag women. Now the drag, I was curious, but that's not who I was. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to drag up. I didn't want to dress like a woman, but something was different. And then I started questioning more and more. And then I started reading a lot more, understand, uh, you know, investigating a lot more. And I stopped upon, or I don't know what the uh, term is. Uh, I, I found out about being gender fluid and non-binary. And it kind of resonated with me, how I feel inside. And that's when I, I would, you know, I understood the difference between the sexuality and gender identity. And that's when I started exploring more to understand and today i can say i am very clear that i'm a non-binary person and my pronouns and they them theirs are sebastian or you can call me chimpanzee 3.0 i don't have a reason for that (laughs) that's who i am and which which is another thing because the other non-binary people now expect me to be one of like expect me to do the makeup, have a beard, but put a lipstick on and have that sort of, you know, non-binariness that I can prove that I am not a male, not a female. I'm not defined by this. But that's where I also have a conflict because I tell these people when they judge me on that, that isn't that what gender fluid is, that I don't belong to a construct. I don't belong to an outfit. I don't belong to a look inside me. I'm very happy putting on lipsticks and nail polish and being in beard and, you know, having a hairy chest and everything and maybe wearing a dress on top and a normal man's outfit at the bottom. I just don't want to define or be defined by what I should be wearing told to me by somebody else. I want to wear what I like. Mm -hmm. And 
I want my dresses to be as ambiguous as I want, but I mm -hmm. also want to be this. I want to look like this as well. And I still want to come to work like this. And on one day, I feel like I'm going to have lipstick and I'm going to have, you know, uh, eyeshadow and everything. And I'll just do that. So, but I don't have to be defined by somebody else telling me what a non-binary should be because I think that's a conflict I have. Mm -hmm. I don't belong to one shape, color, size, or identity. And that is what my non-binary is. I think that society deciding our, uh, you know, you know, as soon as you're born, the boys are blue, the girls are pink. Yeah. You are already given something and that's not fair. Mm. You know, it's same with the circumcision. It's same with the female genital mutilation, all these topics and issues. Somebody else is deciding what my life is going to be. And I'm not okay with that. Hell yeah. Allow me to grow and decide what I will be because isn't that why 18 and above can vote because before that as a parent as a society your duty is to make sure I'm safe to make sure I'm educated to make sure I'm fed to make sure I'm healthy you have no right to play with my body parts mm -hmm. you have no right to tell me what I should be wearing you have no right to tell me how I should behave in one or other gender way Treat me, teach me to be polite, teach me to be kind, but don't teach me how I should look because that's something I'm going to decide once I'm 18 and I'm going to decide what, no, why even once 18, as I'm growing, as, as I'm realizing myself, I'm going to do what I like and that's going to shape me. The day we start understanding that, the day we start treating kids like that, I can tell you so much sexual violence will be gone so mm. much sexual abuse will be gone and so much overall violence will be gone because right now as human beings a huge percentage of us we grow up being unhappy people the day we stop raising unhappy people this world is going to change okay we, we actually you know there's so much more i could ask you right now but we we need to start wrapping up um i think i'm going to just shoot one more question at you so in a society where a non-binary is, I'm going to say, fairly new contract and people are getting used to the new pronouns, um, what advice would you give to people who are getting used to the pronouns and who are trying to adapt? Um, what advice would you give to them? What would you say to them? That's an I'm asking for myself more than anything else. Absolutely. Look, absolutely. I That is a billion, a trillion dollar question. First thing I will tell you is actually non-binary and gender fluidity is not at all new. You go back to any culture, you will find the times of the kings and the queens, the mythology, everything has characters where they did not belong to a gender. They dressed any way, whichever they like, and they were revered. They were respected. They have a special place in all these stories. You know, you go to any religion, you actually will find stories where they have they have special exceptions in a positive way and authorities for being different or because of what the difference was. If you and I, you know, you and I belong to similar culture, uh, we call them kinners or hijras. They are still supposed to be the ones who give blessings at weddings and childbirth and everything, you know, the transgender people. So the society has already actually always taken, unfortunately, and I'm going to say, I'm sorry, Queen, but I'm not. It's the British moving around the world, changing laws for their own, uh, you know, uh, uh, political reason or management of people. They brought in the laws that started criminalizing homosexuality. They defined the, what is natural and unnatural sex and all that. And I think that's where the problem began and the world changed in a very bad way. So, you know, the British history has a lot to answer. And non-binary has always been there. Gender fluid has always been there. It's just had different names, different shapes, different ways. And it's, it's, it's it is not new. But I would say to somebody who says, oh, but I, how, do I, how do I remember to call you them, they, theirs? I will ask 
them one question. When you don't know what some who somebody is, one person, don't you say, are they here yet? One person is coming to your office and you say, are they here yet? If you don't know their name, if you don't know whether it's Thomas or whether it's Rita, don't you say, oh, I had a 10 o'clock. Are they there yet? You're saying that for one person. So you already are capable of using the pronoun they, them, theirs. You say same thing for your pets. For many pets, you know, you don't define them by he or she. You say, I have, you know, they like this and they like that. Uh, mm. You give them non-gender specific names. Mm. You already define, you don't say my he dog. My you he dog. Say, <laughs> you don't say my she bitch, right? You just say my puppy, my baby. So you are already trained. You are already aware how to address another life form in a gender neutral way. Mm. So why is it when I say to somebody, I am they, them, theirs, and you're like, oh, but you're not two people. How can I say that? So what is happening is really, you're deciding that I have to stick with hate. I have to reject you because uh, I, I will put it this way. Do you like it if, you know, and I'm saying this to anybody, if somebody's name is Thomas and I say, hey, Nick, how are you? Why do you feel bad if I call you Nick if you're Thomas? Because mm -hmm. you want to identify the right way. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it's offensive. Some people get offended if their name is Ricardino and you call them Ricky or somebody's Ricky and you call them Rick or Richard. They don't like it. And they say, I'm Rick. I'm Ricky. I'm Richard. So if you get offended by me just twisting your name a little bit, why should I not get offended when you are twisting my entire identity because you say that it's difficult for you to remember how to say they, while mm -hmm. you're saying is, are, are uh, you know, uh, are they here yet? My 10 o'clock appointment, are they here yet? One person. That's all I would say. Yeah, that's an interesting point that we are, like, I, I never thought about that point of view that we are already using those pronouns. Um, and yeah, someone actually did point it out in, in a Facebook group as well. They were saying that, See, I just said it there. I said they were saying exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. You just proved my point. One wow. person is saying that, and you said they. Yeah, so you there we go. Know how to use the right pronoun. Yeah, well, well, they were saying that we we've been using there and them to describe one person for centuries now, and because someone was talking about using the pronouns in a in writing a novel, and this person was like, "Well, we've been using those pronouns like that forever. What's the big deal?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, it do it doesn't click because I think as a society, we are so conditioned to put those boxes and labels on people that we we have to uncondition ourselves. And I know that I'm speaking for myself as well, that I have to uncondition myself as well, because of course I want to respect everyone's identity. Um, just as I don't like people labeling me as Muslim because my parents are Muslim. Um, that's for me, that's being robbed of my identity because uh, I don't identify that way. So, of course, we want to respect people's identities. But I love how you you brought that to like you know to light that oh my god, yes, we actually do use those pronouns all the time. We need to exercise that muscle a little bit more and get get more used to it. I will say one simple thing in the closing: take the religion and politics out of this world, and you'll have no doubts, no problems no objections everybody will just get along and live a merry life <laughs> i mean <laughs> well sebastian i just have three rapid fire questions for you before we end um so, yeah just to get to know you a little bit better can you tell us what is your favorite food pizza without a doubt me too oh my god i love pizza i, I love pizza I haven't had a pizza in seven years, but pizza is my most favorite food. Do you not eat carbs? Um, so I have a very addictive personality in certain okay. things. Uh, if I start pizza and any cola drinks, oh, I start real bad. So okay, fair I enough. Choice. Fair enough. Fair enough. I will eat pizza for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> can you tell me one thing in your life that you cannot live without? 
a very difficult question. A very <laughs> difficult question. Um, I think self-love. Yeah. If I can't love myself, there's nobody else can love. There's no not no person, no thing, no object, no animal I can love if I don't love me. I love that. And the last question: Would you rather read a book or watch the movie? One hundred percent, read a book. Okay. Okay. Great. Amazing. Thank you, Sebastian. Well, it has been so great having you. I think you brought light to so many important topics today, um, and really brought a lot of value to our guests. So thank you so much. It was a pleasure as always. Thank you for having me. I am honored, and I am. Yeah, this this is this has been amazing. This has been incredible, and thank you for actually running this podcast because every single podcast that I listen is it's changing my life with every episode and I'm only listening to nine now I'm nine, <laughs> I've now started counting last time we spoke it was seven it's nine now so you're changing my life with every single podcast and I can tell you you're changing many lives with that oh bless thank you Sebastian and thanks everyone for listening we will see you on the next episode Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Refreshingly Human with myself, Hannah Pillow. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, don't forget to share it with a friend you think would enjoy the content as well. You can also leave me a review on iTunes or podchaser.com. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Refreshingly Human Podcast, Facebook as Refreshingly Human, and LinkedIn as Hannah Pillow. And I'll see you guys on the next episode.